Welcome to the Kotke Ride Home for Monday, September 13th, 2021. I'm Jackson Bird. Today, could woolly mammoths help slow the effects of the climate emergency? It's not just a theoretical question. One entrepreneur is betting on it and working to bring woolly mammoths back from extinction to prove it. Lord has re-released part of her latest album with Maori language translations, and a new effort to potty train cows for the environment. Here are some of the cool things from the news today. A tech entrepreneur and a Harvard geneticist have started a company to bring woolly mammoths back from extinction in an effort to fight the climate emergency, or more likely, just because it seems like a cool thing to do. Ben Lamb and George Church are the two men behind the newly announced Colossal. Here's more about Lamb from Texas Monthly, quote, After building and selling an e-learning software outfit that he launched in his early 20s, he started Chaotic Moon, a creative technology studio that invented tech novelties, biometric tattoos, virtual reality games, for corporate clients. After selling that company in 2015, he founded one that made customer service chatbots for mass brands such as Wingstop and Pizza Hut, and then came Hypergiant, the company he founded in 2018 to create artificial intelligence systems for space satellites, undersea robots, and other advanced machinery, end quote. Church, meanwhile, helped develop the CRISPR gene editing technology, winning a Nobel Prize with the rest of the team along the way, and is the one who had the idea to bring woolly mammoths back to life, while Lamb was just generally interested in what he perceives as the oncoming biotech revolution. With both of their credentials and networks as well as hype surrounding the project, they managed to blow past their initial goal of 3 to 5 million and ended up securing 15 million dollars in VC and private equity firm funding. But what exactly are they doing? Quoting the Guardian, the scientists have set their initial sights on creating an elephant-mammoth hybrid by making embryos in the laboratory that carry mammoth DNA. The starting point for the project involves taking skin cells from Asian elephants, which are threatened with extinction, and reprogramming them into more versatile stem cells that carry mammoth DNA. The particular genes that are responsible for mammoth hair, insulating fat layers, and other cold climate adaptations are identified by comparing mammoth genomes extracted from animals recovered from the permafrost with those from the related Asian elephants. These embryos would then be carried to term in a surrogate mother or potentially in an artificial womb. If all goes to plan and the hurdles are far from trivial, the researchers hope to have their first set of calves in six years." End quote. The idea is that this will both help conserve Asian elephants by endowing them with these new traits that can help them survive, and help conserve the Arctic tundra. The elephant-mammoth hybrid's behavior, like knocking down trees, would theoretically assist in restoring the landscape's grasslands. This claim is one of a few points where the project is facing criticism. Dr. Victoria Herridge, an evolutionary biologist at the Natural History Museum, told The Guardian, quote, My personal thinking is that the justifications given, the idea that you could geoengineer the Arctic environment using a herd of mammoths, isn't plausible. The scale at which you'd have to do this experiment is enormous. You're talking about hundreds of thousands of mammoths which each take 22 months to gestate and 30 years to grow to maturity, end quote. 
And Gareth Phoenix, a professor of plant and global change ecology at the University of Sheffield, added, quote, While we do need a multitude of different approaches to stop climate change, we also need to initiate solutions responsibly to avoid unintended damaging consequences. That's a huge challenge in the vast Arctic where you have different ecosystems existing under different environmental conditions. For instance, mammoths are proposed as a solution to help stop permafrost thaw because they will remove trees, trample and compact the ground, and convert landscapes to grassland, which can help keep the ground cool. However, we know in the forested Arctic regions that trees and moss cover can be critical in protecting permafrost, so removing the trees and trampling the moss would be the last thing you'd want to do." End quote. And it's not just the questions around whether this endeavor would actually be effective at restoring the grasslands, let alone harmful, but also the ethics on the whole matter. Lamb Church and their colossal company are not the first ones to dabble in this sort of thing. In fact, around this time last year, I did a whole segment on a couple of other organizations that have been racing to de-extinct woolly mammoths, and one of them, Revive and Restore, successfully cloned an endangered horse, a Chevalsky's horse, last year, becoming the first endangered species successfully cloned in 17 years. But this kind of work always raises questions, both ethical and practical. Texas Monthly wonders about gestation. I mean, surely having an elephant carry the mammoth hybrid embryo would harm it in some way, but could it be incubated fully in the lab? And as Phoenix hinted, what happens when the animals are born? We don't really know how they'll behave. All of these questions and more are surely ones that the many scientists and organizations working towards woolly mammoth re-extinction have considered and are working on mitigating plans for, but Texas Monthly astutely points out that sometimes VC funding can accelerate a project faster than is safe. Quote, One needn't look far to find technology rushed into the world on the back of venture capital investing, whose goal is to lock up a large market before anyone else gets there, only to unleash devastating, unforeseen effects. To take perhaps the most obvious recent example, Facebook was supposed to have helped unite the world, but nobody stopped to take seriously that it could be turned into the most polarizing propaganda machine ever. End quote. Which, like, dang, quite the condemnation of Facebook to basically say that its effects are comparable to something with strong Jurassic Park vibes. And Lamb does kind of seem to want to fast-track the project. He told Texas Monthly, quote, Based on the technology available and what George is capable of, we would have mammoths already today if we had the right amount of funding and focus on it over the past five years, end quote. But of the critique they could move too fast, Lamb points to the steady work that they're doing and adds, quote, There are a lot of movies out there that portray all kinds of different dystopian futures, and they're just that. They're movies. They're fiction. What we're doing is real. What we're doing can actually occur. And there's a purpose behind this. The whole concept of thoughtful, disruptive conservation. End quote. I think that might be the first time I've heard of a method of conservation being described as disruptive in that kind of way, but... You know, yeah, de-extincting woolly mammoths is no doubt a disruptive approach, and one that really seems to be an odd use of your funds if your goal really is conservation, but you know, go off, I guess. I can't deny that I'd be pretty intrigued to see this happen, and Lamb does point out that if something goes wrong, it's a lot easier to prevent further mammoths from being created than something like mosquitoes. You know, they're really big, they're easier to keep track of, and they're not making that many to start out with. 
Although, like, isn't that the entire crux of the Jurassic Park book? They thought they had every one of the dinosaurs tagged and accounted for, and then realized a whole bunch had been reproducing without them knowing, running all over, and even escaping the island? Woolly mammoth-elephant hybrids probably won't be quite as sneaky as raptors, but still. And whether it's Lamb and Church's Colossal, or Revive and Restore, or one of the other teams working around the world, it does seem like we might have some kind of woolly mammoth back on Earth in 5-10 to 10 years. I mean, just imagine 2031. Woolly mammoths in the Arctic, and rocks from Mars, both on our planet at the same time. Like some kind of mixed-up time travel novel. Just don't forget your towel. So, New Zealand-based singer-songwriter Lord, best known for her 2013 hit Royals, has a new album out called Solar Power. I haven't kept up with Lord much since Royals, but I've been playing Solar Power since it came out, and I'm really digging it. It's kind of a chill summer album. A lot of people gave it kind of meh reviews, but Lord says that's sort of what she was going for. She didn't want to make a huge splash and top all of the pop charts. She just wanted to do what she wanted to do as a musician, which, you know, respect. And now she's released another EP based on Solar Power, a kind of companion album, with five of the songs from the original album re-recorded in the indigenous Maori language. Quoting NPR, Lord worked on the album with a wide roster of translators, elders, and language experts, as well as some well-known Kiwi singers. In an interview with Lord and the language experts in the spinoff, they noted the long history of injustices that Maori language and culture has suffered and the inequities that persist today, specifically in New Zealand's music industry. Maori musicians are paid less on average than their non-Maori counterparts, despite huge streaming success and large followings, and the language is rarely heard on commercial radio. The spinoff also notes that some indigenous people believe Te Reo Maori should only be spoken by the Maori after so many decades of New Zealand's government trying to eradicate it, end quote. Lord admits it's a complicated situation and that she is open to criticism, but as an artist on a global stage who represents New Zealand, she wanted to engage with all of New Zealand culture and said she'd rather try and face critique than being too scared to engage at all. Here's a listen to part of the title track, Te Ao Mayama. All five tracks are up on Lord's YouTube channel, with captions in both Maori and English, which is a cool way to experience them. They're also up on Spotify, or if you want to purchase them, proceeds will be going to two local charities, Forest and Bird and Tehoa Kaoriki Charitable Trust. Well, speaking of disruptive ideas to help save the environment, a new study successfully trained cows to do their business in one designated area in an attempt to reduce environmental pollution and curb ammonia emissions. 
The study, published today in the journal Current Biology, is titled Learned Control of Urinary Reflexes in Cattle to Help Reduce Greenhouse Gas Emissions. But really, they just potty train cows to save the planets. We know that cows produce a large amount of methane through their unique digestion process, most of which comes out in the form of belches, not flatulence, as is commonly joked. Some does, but it's mostly burping. Their urine, however, produces ammonia emissions. Quoting Vice, Cattle urine is a major source of ammonia emissions, which can cause environmental damage by contaminating soil and water around farms. Microbes in and around agricultural facilities also convert ammonia into nitrous oxide, which is a greenhouse gas that contributes to human-driven climate change. Jan Langbein, an animal psychologist at the Research Institute for Farm Animal Biology who co-authored the study, explains, Ammonia is an indirect greenhouse gas. About 95% of ammonia emissions come from agriculture, and a considerable proportion comes from cattle farming, either directly from barn air or indirectly from slurry. Ammonia is responsible for a large amount of atmospheric nitrogen deposition, which in turn leads to eutrophication of the soil and water, causing soil acidification and direct plant damage, end quote. So many groups and individual farmers around the world have long been working on methods to reduce these emissions. Enter Langbein's team, the potty trainers. Langbein pointed out to Vice that cows are actually a lot smarter than people tend to give them credit for. Previous studies, she said, have shown how they're able to learn how to operate devices in the barn and move to specified places with prompting. According further from Vice, the experiment involved a total of 16 calves divided into two cohorts. The animals were rewarded with treats, such as molasses and crushed barley, when they urinated in the latrines and were gently splashed with water when they urinated outside, as a deterrent. As these exercises were repeated over the course of a few weeks, 11 out of the 16 cows caught on to the potty training, even when the length of the alleys between the outdoor area and the latrines was increased. Ultimately, more than two-thirds of the calves showed a level of performance comparable to that of children and superior to that of very young children, according to the study, end quote. And according to IFL Science, some of the cows were also fitted with headphones that played loud noises when they urinated in the wrong place, but it wasn't as effective a deterrent as those splashes of water. And just in case you're imagining a cow sitting upright on top of a porcelain toilet, the toilet was a latrine covered with turf, so the cow walks onto the fake grass and does their business as they usually would. The researchers are hoping to expand their training program, which they called Mulu, so it can be rolled out affordably to farms. They're also running follow-up experiments to perfect the technique. So potty training cows, de-extincting woolly mammoths, well... The fight to save the planet certainly isn't boring, I'll say that much. Well, that is all I've got for you today. As always, this show was produced by Ride Home Media and Kotki.org. I am Jackson Bird, and I will talk to you again tomorrow. 